Greetings, friends, and welcome to the second episode of the Missouri Psychedelic Podcast. This week, we're joined by a brilliant mind. The man's name is Max Montrose. He's the founder of the Tricome Institute, author of the book Interpening, an all-around cannabis whiz kid. Uh, I was super excited to finally get a chance to speak with him. We had a, a mutual friend introduce us. We started sharing stories about Rick Doblin experiences and knew right away that uh, we were supposed to meet one another. After an entire weekend of educating the masses about the intricacies of the cannabis plant, Max was super relieved and excited to sit down with me and talk about uh, some different psychoactive plants uh, and some different experiences he's had with them, and I think you'll really enjoy it. I do want to apologize in advance. The sound is not the greatest we were on the the show conference floor there's a little bit of background noise and and worst of all there uh, was a bit of a faulty microphone during the interview so the sound will cut in and out a little bit but i think the content is good enough that you'll be able to look right past it i hope you enjoy this week's episode with our friend max montrose People are much smarter. The very fact that I'm saying these things on a, on a uh, regional television is a sign of sophistication and growth. People didn't say this 10 years ago. And people are listening. A third of the people that listen to this uh, broadcast are going to think it over and they're going to take some steps in, uh, in self-actualization, throwing out the two or 3,000-year-old heritage of submission, fear, guilt, sin, devil, all that nonsense, which is designed to keep you stupid and to keep you frightened. <laughs> this is really a quiet world that we've created. How dare some guy in a suit sitting in government tell me what to do with my consciousness? All right. So now we're on a psychedelic show, right? Now we're on a psychedelic show. Your psychedelic show? Ah, sure. Missouri Missouri Psychedelic Podcast. It'll be dropping here in the next uh, week. Um, we have uh, several in the bag uh, from comedian Shane Moss, uh, who's been on our show a couple times. I don't know if you're familiar with Shane. We recently, in this very building, sat down with Rick Doblin at the Drug Policy Alliance Convention, uh, which is my convention uh, came through here we had a chance to catch up with him see where they're at with MDMA studies kind of what the next frontier is looks like maybe Ibogaine might be the uh, the next frontier for maps we'll see how, how all of that uh, plays out of course there's there's multiple studies you know, going I've, on I've done Ibogaine you have yeah now did you do Ibogaine or did you use the Iboga root or my Ibogaine story is kind of interesting well, let's hear it hit me, hit me with the, hit me with one right out the gate um, well a Canadian company hired me to go try their um, standard operating procedure for how to cure opiate addiction with ibogaine isolate in a hospital setting that just so happened to be a opiate inpatient clinic in Mexico. So I flew to Mexico to go do ibogaine in a hospital bed, basically at a heroin clinic, uh, trapped in paradise on a beach, and like I. I thought I was gonna stay at a hotel because I'm working for this company and I'm gonna go like 
do Ibogaine someday? They're like, no, you're staying at the, like, I didn't know until I got there that, like, they're searching my bags. They, do they even take Advil from you. You can't have any substance there. It's like a real substance clinic. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I had to be sober for, like, four or five days. Okay. Um, and there's so much we could say about the Ibogaine, but here's the truth. This company was getting Ibogaine uh, that was being poached from the jungle. Okay. And they did tell me before that it wasn't the old type of ibogaine they used to serve, which was apparently these brown pills, which were stinky. Mm -hmm. You could smell the extra alkaloids coming off of them. It was ibogaine isolate. Um, And so, long story short, I don't think I did iboga in the root in the traditional setting. I did Did the complete opposite version. I did the hospital, clinical, sterile heart monitored, EKG lab test, ibogaine isolate given to me by nurses and doctors. And so, um, how was the experience? How, how, how long was the ride? It's a 20 hour experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of bizarre. You feel like things are clicking and breaking and dribbling into your mind. Um, and they'll tell you that. They're like, oh, yeah, you might hear some clicking noises in the back of your head. It's like your brain starts, like, moving around inside your skull. Um, but let me tell you, being on an, a psychedelic that, that that's that intense, strapped to a hospital bed with an IV, with a needle in your arm, and, and a heart monitor on your heart, and, like, I mean, being covered in wires and not being able to get up or move around. Like, you know when you're on psychedelics, you want to, like, you want to stretch and you want to do some of that. Maybe you want to walk around. Try laying in a hospital bed in a dark room with someone that doesn't speak your language (laughs) monitoring you with, like, machines all over. And, like, oh, every 15 minutes the the arm thing. Like, yeah, yeah, check your blood pressure. So, and I'm telling them, I'm like, you know, as a standard operating procedure, if you guys want to do this in the future, um... <laughs> yeah, this is MK Ultra. Yeah. Uh, I was like, you know, if you guys want to try this in the future, maybe check vitals every few hours, not every 15 minutes. Maybe take the fucking IV out of the arm and no and doubt. maybe um, if ask your patient, would you like to get up and stretch now? Maybe do a little bit of yoga. Uh, so yeah, wow. that that was ibogaine um, in a hospital setting. Okay. I saw some cool stuff in my mind though. Right I don't know on. if I can talk about it. Okay. I, we don't need to, but it's. Well, I would love to if you'd like to try and ex- explain it. I, you know, I I'll, don't, I'll, you don't know feel what? obligated, I'll, of course. Well, I'll say this. Okay. Do you know much about um, Kabbalah? Uh, enough to be dangerous. Like I, essentially Jewish mysticism. Yeah, Hebrew like mysticism. I, yeah. You know. I mean, we're talking the most ancient, most structured, esoteric mysticism of how the whole of it all works. Sure. And a lot of people don't know that the movie The Matrix was based off of Kabbalah. And Kabbalah's understanding of this, you're in the matrix now, and essentially, you know, these medicines take us back home. We are still connected to where we came from, and currently, as we're physically alive in this setting, this is the matrix. Beautiful. You're in it right now. Oh, yeah. This is it. And we can can take ourselves into the, we can take ourselves back home while our physical bodies are still existing in the Matrix the same way as in the movie, which is why the movie shows it the way that it does. It's, that's the same shit, okay? The Matrix is real. We're in it right now. This is not really real. What's up, man? This is the ma- Welcome to the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> I don't know which pill you took, but... Uh, but 
in in Kabbalah, there's the tree of life, and the tree of life is the different levels that you go through as a spiritual being to achieve, like you know, extraordinary consciousness. Yes. Basically, what Buddha would consider. Yes. Nirvana, right? Yes. Like how to achieve that, right? There's a there's a structure to it. There's a path you can take. Um, and I. On Ibogaine, I was brought to the room, which was the ground floor of the Tree of Life. And I was physically there. And I could see the images on the wall in the hallway and the red, gold, and purple spirals just coming down the columns. And, like, you're literally basically on the front porch of God's house and the very lower level that goes up And the up steps from are as big as you can imagine. Buddy, we are talking about the most beautiful like awe-inspiring building and structure and in space where there are doors and hallways to go down and access and there's levels i've been there it's a and 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 that space is a part of where we come from that is not physically right here right now because physically right here right now we're in the matrix I would love to be on a head full of psychedelics with you leading Hebrew prayer right now. <laughs> uh, the, well, here's the deal. The, one of the beautiful things about the ineffable that is the psychedelic experience is that the only way to understand what the hell someone's talking about is by actually being there. And uh, when you explained that place, I was on a very intensely high dose of psilocybin mushrooms, uh, um, which is a medicine that's communicated better with me than ayahuasca is communicated more profoundly with me than um you know some of the more you know well-known psychedelics lsd um really any of them psilocybin typically is the one that but i but in high doses uh and i've been to that place and i actually with this i i was communicating with this with it with with spirit with what the source is with whatever it was and i had questions about like the significance of all of these different um co-mingling of plants and fungi and, and what the significance was with the tobacco smoke and ceremonies and as I'm asking these questions in my mind I'm getting visual answers in this ether that I'm floating in and the tobacco smoke as I ask about the tobacco there's a plume of smoke that highlights this net uh, and essentially at each intersection of this net I could peer through into a the next level or sometimes a level below and and essentially helped myself uh, it helped me see a cosmic web that ultimately led me to that that front porch that you talked about but I didn't know how I was gonna climb these immensely massive steps uh, until uh, the music had led me into it uh, I, I know that was tangential it just got me so excited to hear you talk about it because it does feel like home um, it is how I talk to God uh, it brought me back to God in a, uh, a different way uh, and when I thought God was lost um, and ultimately when I found my love for psychedelics was when my dad was dying of cancer uh, and an opportunity came up to do ayahuasca uh, which was a very lovely experience but ultimately helped me come to grips not only with his mortality but with my own mortality and my immortality in the uh, the multiversal reality that we certainly uh, you know which uh, is why your mortality is okay because it's like oh this death thing it's okay man you know how many times I've done this yes <laughs> like, yes I didn't fear birth why am I fearing death um, especially if we're if we're dancing between two realities yeah uh, in this matrix okay. so um, okay let's talk about uh, <laughs> 
Man, we can go anywhere. We have we have a, a mutual acquaintance in Rick Doblin. Yeah. Uh, we spoke to Rick. Actually, matter of fact, it was here. We talked about it, and it was awesome because he needed to catch an Uber. He was in a big rush to get out of here, and Steve's like, just being Steve. Steve says, hey, Rick, do you need a ride to the airport? And he's like, would you guys do that? And I'm like, yeah, happily. Uh, so the... So the dealer just kicked this fishing gear out of the way, hop up front. So we got a chance to ride with Rick and really get a deep conversation. Do you know, I, just not to cut you off, but the amount of times I've heard other people. He's the most giving person of his time I've ever met. In a situation where Rick needed a ride somewhere. <laughs> you ain't special, Steve. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. You know, I'm just saying, Rick, no, this is, no, this is the magical Rick ride. It is. That's what I'm saying. It no, is. There, it's, it's, the, like it's, a Murray, kind of it's like when it's Bill Murray. It's like when Bill Murray. It's a different kind of bus. <laughs> you you went on the magical Rick ride. I'm just I'm saying it's a good thing. It like, was amazing. It was amazing good, because he was like, thing. oh man, if I don't have to take an Uber, that means I can be a little bit more social with you guys. Yeah. yeah okay, Rick. Okay, let's have yeah. a conversation. So we got to explain this beautiful, loving, psychedelic, uh, loving, and cannabis loving and magic loving network that we've built here in St. Louis. Rick was like, that's all I ever wanted when I started talking about this in the early 80s and trying seeing how the, I just, I, you know, the importance of building your community. He was really, he was just as invested in our story as we are him. And I've saw him at the Psychedelic Symposium at the University of Michigan. Every single person he made more than enough time for. They were apologizing. He was trying to extend the conversation and people were getting better for it. Um, but I, I don't know if you're willing to share this, but you shared a story with me last night about Rick Doblin that was just like a perfect example. And if you don't want to share it, I, that's okay. Uh, I can share it. I'm going to do this, though. There we go. Awesome. So, my Rick Doblin story? Yes. Do you also know Rick Strassman? I do know Rick Strassman. DMT researcher, University of New Mexico? You know, he's the um, the uh, the reviewer that's going to be printed on the back of my book when my new books finally get to the country. That is tremendous. Yeah, so that I'm, is I'm exciting. with both psychedelic Ricks. Um, Rick Doblin. Yeah, when... Uh, you want me to tell this, that, that, that story? You tell yeah. any story you want, but that story was particularly... An amazing story. And, and like, just a really great little... It's just what happens around psychedelic culture and around when, once you kind of jump in that wave that, that this group of people is surfing, the, the kismet, the, the, the synchronicity, the serendipity of everything is... It's, it's impossible to ignore and deny, you know? Yeah, so I... Um, this, uh, and to give you some more interesting context, I was on a group to go do peyote with some Lakota structure on the te in a teepee, desert floor, San Luis Valley. And at the time, um, I was actually going to go uh, eat this peyote with a bunch of students from Naropa University that a teacher was taking them basically on a field trip to go eat peyote. Cool. And... <laughs> and the school was like, no, <laughs> you can't take students to go do psychedelics 
<laughs> on the desert floor like in a teepee. Like that's not a <laughs> I don't think that's a kosher um, field trip. <laughs> and they fought back. They were like they were like, you know what? We are allowed to do this. This guy is licensed. They have the ability. This is their religion. We have the this, that, and the other. And they have the, in Colorado, you can lawfully um, serve peyote to non-native people who are participating in a bona fide ceremony. In fact, a lot of the federal legislation around peyote is very open to um, those things. And we can get more into that later. Sure. But the point is, is I'm on this crazy peyote trip. I'm on the peyote field trip with the Naropa kids. Okay. There was a couple extra guys on the trip just around Boulder area. One of them was my buddy James Casey, who is one of the first officially cured PTSD veterans from the MDMA program through MAPS, which Rick started. Yes. So uh, when James Casey did his MDMA, which is a, a multiple hours of assisted psychotherapy on MDMA, um, they have a trip sitter in the room so that you don't just give someone a massive dose of MDMA, yes. talk to them about their feelings for seven hours and say, see you later, go home. Yes. You got to spend the night at a facility and wake up sober the next day. And so his trip sitter was a black guy. You can listen. <laughs> so, um, so. Uh, his trip sitter was, was an African-American gentleman. His trip sitter was this black guy who had long hair, who was a hippie, and James Casey being on a massive dose of psychedelics, who just came back from war, and also the South, let's just say, was really uncomfortable sitting in a room on psychedelics with a... With a with a, person of color. With a person of color that had long hair, based sure. on what he experienced. That, yes. That was something he was personally uncomfortable with at the time. Okay. It just so happened that that guy was sitting shotgun with James Casey on our way to go do peyote together, and we had no idea that that's what the situation was. And the beautiful thing about that is what got James Casey to the point where he allowed um, this guy to sit shotgun with him when he wouldn't even sit in a room with him on ecstasy. And it's because the MDMA did cure him from more than just PTSD. A lot of it is just bullshit in his head. And when he came out the other side, he was fine with this long-haired black dude sitting in the truck with him. It doesn't matter. We're going to sure. all go do peyote together. Sure. And the most amazing thing was uh, the after eating a fistful of peyote, literally almost every hour on the hour the whole night long, I mean, we were on a ton of peyote. Um, <laughs> and as the sun was coming up and I was doing my morning Jewish prayers, my tefillin, um, I saw James Casey grab... Um, I think his name is Seton, uh, grab him and hold him in his arms to walk him to the car because he was barefoot and the amount of cactus that was out there on the desert floor was too much. So, I mean, I was on a massive dose of peyote as the sun was rising, watching one man hold another man to safety, the same guy he refused to sit in a room with just just a few months prior. And, and, I, um, and when I told that to Rick Doblin, Rick Doblin pulled a handwritten note from James Casey out of his back pocket and said that he keeps James Casey's note with him on, on his persons at all times, which inspires him to do what he does with maps and saving other people. But he never told James Casey that he carries his uh, letter with him in his back pocket. So 
I texted James that, dude, Rick Doblin carries your handwritten letter in his back pocket every single day. And I just randomly met, ran into Rick um, at, a, at Harvard Medical at some cannabis conference. And it was just the trippiest thing that's like Rick, James, Peyote, uh, MDMA, the MAPS program, a teepee on a desert floor, black, white, this, that. It's like, at the end of the day, the psychedelics just brought us everything together and made everything fine. Everyone was happy, tearful, healed. Yes. No longer sick. Like, and it was all the medicine. I, and, and it was, and it, I mean, it's like, man, you can't, that's huge. I've had, uh, well, I've had, in my own experience, uh, even somewhat recently experienced, I've had that super healing. Sometimes I take psychedelics for fun, too. Um, mostly I use them with intention and ceremony. Um, but there are times uh, where, you know, I, I, I use them to have fun. And it's amazing how many times I'll get a super healing experience when I was just going in to have a little bit of fun and do it in a... Yeah, you don't, you don't expect it, but it... Right. And, and with, well, with even substances that um, I didn't expect to get that kind of healing from. I, I expect a lot of times I'll take them for perspective. Um, but for the most part, with the, with the healing intention. Just recently, with a friend of mine, he was, you know, we were holding each other, we were holding other while we're trying to integrate we end up on a four-hour walk through the neighborhood we walk miles and miles and miles two grown men in their mid-30s crying sobbing like holding each other laughing crying sobbing and by the end of it all like 80 pounds lighter in, in you know in every in, way in, in every way yeah. I, you know um, well and you know it's like and in so many cultures around the world that's normal totally it, it's and in the jungle it's okay to hug your friend yes. your dude Platonic guy and, yes. and cry and go through all this stuff and like these people are so happy and just like free and they're not holding on to all that baggage and in the US you know men shouldn't cry like hold it in keep it stuff it's like that's energy no doubt and it gets blocked no and doubt it, and it can get stuck and it can become uncomfortable and that discomfort that you haven't let out that you haven't just got over because you're just refusing to you're holding on to anger, and that makes you an angry person. No doubt. And so it's like, you know what, man? Like, yeah, it might not be cultural uh, in the Western world for men to think that taking off your clothes, rolling around in the mud, crying your brains out, thanking your mother for being alive might be the healthiest thing you've ever done. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> ever done. I, I, you like, know, it's, that might be some healthy shit. Like, that's, uh, you know, recently, yeah, within the last couple of years, uh, I was introduced to Sturgill Simpson and it was something I probably wouldn't have otherwise listened to. And then I hear the song and he says, you know, some some say it might make you go crazy. Then again, it might just make, you know, make you go sane, uh, which is uh, uh, it, it's most likely going to make you go sane. It does bring you home. You talked about the idea that, you know, we, we go back to home. This is the Matrix and that is home. And I have had experiences to try and put it into perspective. Uh, with DMT in my system where I was laying in what I call my cosmic living room, you know, because it, and then I was able to step out of this body and realize an infinite form in all directions that felt like stretching out on the couch. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know? Doesn't it feel good to stretch oh, out on a couch? It feels really good. Like, just to, like, <laughs> it feels really it good, man. And and just like, well, yes. that's you being in your body. You know why I like 
these medicines is because I'm a thinker, not a feeler. And these medicines help me feel. Yes. And they help me get into my body. I'm always so in my head, man. I'm like, I'm so in my head all the time. Sometimes it's just exhausting. I'm so high up there. Yeah. That like it's hard to to come to earth. Grounded and, and like, yeah. So, and um, here's a psychedelic one for you. You are what you eat. Yeah. And when you eat a cactus, you are a cactus. Yeah. And being a cactus is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> because, yeah, but, but because when you really are what you eat, and you really are, you are so well-rooted, you are so well-grounded, you have protection around you everywhere. And if something were to ever come around and cut your head off, it's cool. Because your head will regrow a body, and your body will regrow its head. Because that's how cactus work. Yeah. And so from a psychedelic perspective, when you go through (laughs) that rough patch, I'm just envisioning like, oh, well, I just got my head cut off, but now that part is growing a new body. And this is, and like from a psychedelic perspective, that's kind of how cactus works. Yeah. But for me, like mushrooms, mushrooms, when they're growing, they're the most sensitive creatures that there are. They have to be perfect. They have to be sterile. One speck of bacteria will collapse the whole structure. Sure. And sometimes to me, that's like a bad thought. Like one bad thought, of like it's a bacteria in a mushroom experience, can grow enough of my sensitive mushroom being and collapse me from it. One, I- one bad idea. Can- I get that. I get that. I mean, you're very closely, we're closer to mushrooms than we are the animal kingdom. So, I mean, that's, you know, I I can understand certainly where that's coming from. You speak of cactus, it sounds like that's your teacher. It sounds like that's uh, maybe your preferred uh, vehicle. Yeah. 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 And, And, you know, just being a young, busy guy trying to move, buy a house, start my companies traveling all the time the amount of times that i have a 48 hour weekend that i'm not constantly having to deal with my dogs my family my plants my businesses my grows or my travels i'm not doing medicine enough because you really like it's not like you just it's not just it's not like oh friday night like it's 5 p.m i'm done with working here i'll eat a san pedro now it's like no right i think you kind of want to like work up to that is that a daddy bear that is a daddy bear uh, I think I know that daddy bear. I, I think you know that daddy bear too. I think. <laughs> oh no, he's right there. He was in. The, he was in the costume yesterday. <laughs> I was like, we're we talking are, about we psychedelics. We're actually I... not tripping, but yes, that is a daddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. Yeah, give him a shot of that. <laughs> you know, you're talking about psychedelics, and a daddy bear just pops around the corner. That's kind of awesome. Awesome. So we, so, so, talk to me about, (laughs) we look like comedians. Do you think we work together? (laughs) (laughs) We might be working together right now. We're we're working it. We're trying to, we're, we're trying to get some real good information out there. Oh, I love working it. That's what I do best. I work it. So talk to me about MDMA because so ultimately Sasha Shulman, uh, you know, helped 
bring it back. I, I guess it was already discovered. But uh, the idea behind it was it was going to be a gentler experience than the cactus experience with the same pro-social, uh, um, you know, benefits, I suppose. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, on MDMA? Um, not a whole lot of thoughts on MDMA, but I'll give you another cactus thought connected to MDMA. Please. That's, yes, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. So, what a lot of people don't know about psychedelic cacti is how vast they are in their speciation, subspeciation, and alkaloid content. Uh, most people who do know that there are cacti types that are psychedelic only know about San Pedro and peyote. Um, they don't know about all the others, the big spectrums. So, uh, there is a psychedelic cactus that feels identical to molly, ecstasy, okay. MDMA, methyldoxa, methamphetamine. <laughs> um, and that is San Pedro. Sure. Um, it, it's a heart medicine. And they'll tell you that it's a heart medicine, like your heart will blow out of your chest. And so, um, you know, I, for anybody who's considering like microdosing MDMA for MDMA purposes, maybe microdosing San Pedro could be similar and interesting, and at least just to explore, but obviously not the same. Sure. Um, but there are other cacti types that are opposite from like that San Pedro where it's not heart energy. Okay. It's magic doing knowingness. Okay. And okay. so there are some cacti that you can imbibe and um, you are just brought into the world of how it works from behind the scenes. Okay. So, right, the matrix right here has a basement and it has a boiler room. And so in front of us is a curtain and we can peel this curtain away and actually put our heads through and look and see what's on the other side. And it's literally these mathematical cogs in the wheel that are creating everything that you're hearing, feeling, seeing, and experiencing in this matrix of a reality right now. And so there are so many different um, types of cacti that do so many different types of things that, you know, for me, if I was really interested in an MDMA thing, I might want to consider San Pedro uh, yeah. just for doing it more the natural way than the non-natural way. I'm with you on that. So, well, it's just an idea. I, I, like, just an I idea. like your idea, um, and, and I'm going to build on what you said about microdosing, because if you are considering microdosing MDMA, you should know that the people with MAPS that are doing this with psychoassisted therapy, speaking with Rick Doblin, talking about microdosing, he says MDMA is not actually a great candidate for microdosing, um, especially if you have uh, issues with anxieties or things like that, because it has more of a potential at a less than threshold dose to Well, remember, half of MDMA is methamphetamine. Right. And yes. so it's like, so if yes. you have anxiety and you're taking microdoses of pieces of methamphetamines, yeah, yeah I could see how yeah. you could be a little sure. worked up. And, worked and, and, up. And honestly, that's that's my experience with it. My experience with MDMA feels very speedy um, and not very uh, uh, rolly. Like an MDA is a that chain uh, agrees with my chemistry a little bit better. Um, but I would much rather go the natural route um, because there is a sentience to the plants um, and a, a, a communication that takes place with, with, with plant and fungi brews and medicines that uh, uh, you know, there is a, a legitimate um, 
intelligence that's passed along to us that's been, probably been shared not only among the plants but also through the fungal network that that connects those plants as a mycelial internet as a you know the original internet between <laughs> between thinking things um and so i would i prefer the plant option as well do you know where uh, the plant version of mda i do sassafras yeah yeah i just got that tattooed back here. So nice. I, I have a little sassafras tat. Nice. Um, and you know what? I didn't really know about, like, you know, sass is a plant that was brought to North America. Okay. Um, I can't recall if it is indigenous or not. It might be. Anyways, it's, um, what I didn't know is how ancient and old these sass trees are in um, Southeast Asian jungles mm -hmm. and South American jungles. Okay. And so there are little communities who have learned that like a one by one brick of tree blocks just wooden blocks are what's being extracted okay for their oil that they're breaking down and soaking from these wooden blocks in this really industrial like process okay but these industrial producers of mass quantities of mda to be turned into mdma like globally around the market yeah are literally going after the biggest, oldest, most Sassafras ancient trees, trees that they, these trees are so almost gone by now. And they're so rare. And like, and, and what they're not doing is they're not like, you know, planting ones behind the ones that they're cutting down. These are guys after money and drugs and they'll pay any indigenous family who's starving yeah. to go into the jungle and spend all the goddamn day hacking at a tree to bring them the wood to the, to the factory. To uh, to basically make Molly with and and like and what they'll do is they'll just ship, you know, the MDMA, uh, either pow pa uh, MDA powder or liquid, uh, to somewhere in uh, you know Brussels. No doubt. And, yeah, and then sure. that and then some chemist over there has some has a basement where he sprinkles a little of that and it grows into a crystal and now you've got blocks of raw MDMA. That's um, and like, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and it feels it feels really gross. And, yeah, it and, is like it feels really gross. And that, well, I mean, there's a lot of people. Um, um, there's an anthropologist, uh, Sophia Rockland. She is touring with uh, Shane Moss, psychedelic comedian, um, and they're doing the Head Talks tour. And a big uh, matter of her work, or a big section of her work, is just the sustainability of of uh, a huge swath of us coming to natural psychedelics. Um, and especially things like you know ayahuasca brews and like and, and that right there calls a calls a really he calls it into question. Well, I mean, here's another one that calls it into question. Um, I've been saying things about peyote and who's allowed to use it how, opposite from what Native Americans are trying to tell us that no, we have it's their medicine and that we have to do it their way. And I'm sure. like. The way that you do that medicine doesn't work for me at all right. because I can't connect with the medicine. The way I want to connect with this medicine, I'm a human, it's a plant, we're allowed to connect with each sure. other. I want to just do yoga. I want to sing the songs I know, not pretend to sing Lakota songs that I don't know, pretending to be a Native American. I don't think that's respectful. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That's but I also don't think it's respectful for natives to think that the way that they should get their medicine is by still harvesting it from the wild. And we're talking about a plant that's damn near extinct. Yes. So and takes a long time so to it's mature. Even the indigenous communities, based on maybe tradition or lack of education, that it's like, are, guys, are you're, that it. medicine that you really care about, hate to break it to you, you're you are going to be the cause of it disappearing. 
if you don't think if you don't start cultivating it and and you know what and I, I can teach these communities how to graft a peyote to a San Pedro grow a peyote the I was size just of talking a football, about that yesterday uh, in in in, a, in just a few years but a peyote size a peyote the size of a football could flower 16 20 30 times a season and if you pollinate those flowers and you get five to seven seeds per fruit per flower you could have peyote mothers growing anywhere between 30 to maybe 150 seeds a year and That's if you incredible. had a couple dozen of those peyote mothers producing seed those native communities should be reseeding where their peyote comes from so that we have peyote that's natural and native but like and you know it was the white it was the white guy that fucked the peyote plant sure um once once they learned like oh this cactus is like lsd and it just grows in uh south texas sure it was white men who instead of cutting the button head off the ground and leaving the taproot which would regrow a button fast just dug it up pull the whole thing out yep uh but still even if you cut the head off it, they're just taking too there's much. a much more there's, sustainable yeah, there's, there's way. a much more sustainable way to to have peyote growing sustainably in nature talk to me about okay you were talking about i've recently found out this year we interviewed a guy uh reverend danny nemu he's actually out of england uh and um he was talking about psychedelics in the bible um uh, and i mean he, he says they weren't even hiding it. Like frankincense is a psychedelic when it's consumed so is myrrh uh, and so, have you have you ever heard this? Have you ever experienced uh, uh, frankincense as a psychedelic? No, but frankincense, myrrh, cinnamon, and cannabosum and nutmeg is the anointing oil of any priest-like figure conducting a high-level ceremony in Jerusalem. Yeah. So if if Yeshua, Jesus, was ever permitted to be anointed and allowed to host a ceremony, which is probably not, to be honest, knowing what he was up to and who was not allowing him to be who he was. Right? Uh, yeah. Us Jews. Yeah. He's a Jew, we're a Jew, we're all Jews, hey? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if he was anointed with that oil, it, Jesus Christ would have been blessed and covered in cannabis as an oil. That, no that's a thing. That's no a doubt. real true thing. No doubt. Uh, okay, so give me, uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I could do this for hours and hours and hours. Sure. Um, give me, you were talking about cacti that uh, maybe weren't the San Pedro uh, and, and peyote varieties. Are these other cacti, do they carry mescaline or no. is it just, okay, so they, they're carrying different alkaloids that are so, psychoactive? Listen, so peyote has. So peyote is Luffafor williamsi. Mm -hmm. And yes. you have Texacana, Caspatosa, Diffusia, Fricky, and Jordania. So those are five subspecies of peyote types that mm -hmm. are all going to have different alkaloid ranges. Um, Trichocereus pachinois, Spacinus, Mertilio, uh, not Mertilio geometris, Peruvianus. but uh, Peruvianus, all, all those Trichocereus columnar types, um, those are all mescaline types. All the peyote types are mescaline types. So the majority of the, the cacti that we know are really... Uh, pretty mescaline heavy. That's just true. Sure. But um, your astrophytums, okay. your meriostigmas, your uh, areocarpuses, your fissuratus, um, these other uh, cacti okay. that uh, grow in the exact same region of peyote are 
sometimes just as psychedelic or more, and they have no mescaline in them. Do we know what receptors they're playing? Are they playing yes. off of the same receptors? Yeah, we know um, that it's hornine and hortamine and all these other alkaloids that are... <laughs> Oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> oh, this is so, so exciting. Oh. Okay, there is... Um, have you had an ayahuasca? Eight. How, did, how, was, how was your relationship with ayahuasca? Mine is good. Um, I think it's maybe hard to not have a good one. Um, perhaps not as... Uh, it feels... Okay simplify it or make it a little binary it feels like a more uh, feminine medicine a feminine feeling to it uh, than say like a psilocybin experience was for me or or even a cactus experience um, uh, which is which is not an inherently bad thing just uh, maybe we're, a little we're, disconnected. Talk, we're talking difference between grandma grandpa yes okay. yes got it so here's the deal it's I think it's inappropriate to call it grandpa medicine okay and the reason why is because I've been in situations where people are like, oh yeah, I, was, I did grandpa medicine, and they explained the, the experience, and I was like, that's not grandpa medicine, that's San Pedro. And then they're like, well, San Pedro's cactus, that's grandpa medicine. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Do you consider every single psychedelic cactus in the whole world to be the same thing, even though they're extremely different? That's not helpful. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of blurring the experience. Yeah, that's not helpful. You can't, but Sam, to my knowledge, San Pedro, Wachuma, generally isn't considered grandfather medicine. Typically, peyote is. Okay. And I've never had a male source or a male experience that was, like, I felt some female energy from ayahuasca the way that other people have. Yeah. I've never gotten a sex specific energy more psilocybin from me not uh, so much cactus from cactus yeah but um it cactus opens me up to myself more it opens me up to my ability to physically communicate with other plants like just verbally straight out like okay we are having a conversation yes like, like back and forth and this is real um i've seen gods on peyote before I, sure. I, I uh, mother Gaia brought me to my sure. knees on peyote once okay um, being understanding how it all works but um, I've had all of that sure uh, but I haven't ever had a, a male experience but the way that I, just just a theory and this is I'm pulling this straight out of my ass well my, yeah, my, that's what we got to do yeah, with, with but, this <laughs> ineffable thing <laughs> but my, my theory of like it being a grandpa medicine is when when you do grandma medicine and it's and you're in a rough spot if you say hey grandma this is a little intense could you turn it down a bit she will yeah and, and grandpa's for, and gonna grandpa, throw you in the pond and say swim yeah yeah and, it, and, but it's just the nature of the medicine it's yeah. not like it's choosing to do that no. it's just that's how the medicine works yeah. and so there's an element of peyote where grandpa Sometimes we'll put you over his lap and give you a fucking spanking. Yeah. And sometimes totally. you need to get spanked. And sometimes when you don't want to be in the spanking situation because it's uncomfortable, Grandpa's like, no, you're not done yet. I'm going to spank you till you're red, until you get this lesson. Yeah. So maybe from that perspective, sure. people might be like, yeah, Grandpa's a little tough. Grandma's a little softer. I could get that. Yeah. But I don't think it's 
okay to just consider all of the characters? Oh, that yeah, no, I wouldn't be, do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's. It's cool. actually even more than a than a binary uh, sexual nature. Uh, for me, like, okay, for instance, uh, comparing psilocybin to ayahuasca. Ayahuasca was very grounding and brought me to earth, whereas psilocybin feels much more alien. It is and, alien. Yes, there are little yeah. aliens. Yeah, it's it's alien and it and it brings me into. I mean, we're talking about two talking about two different places that were and and both of them equally uh, uh beneficial in their own ways um but just different different communications what was have you have you gone into the jungle to do ayahuasca not yet no every time i do ayahuasca it's it's kind of funny uh, it's typically it's either in um uh boulder colorado or you know fort sure. collins sure, or sure, something. Sure. it's just like you know yeah that's been my experience it's been yeah. stateside yeah, you know. stateside. yeah. interesting <laughs> I think I'm going to go smoke one. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. This has been a fun show, though. Dude, Max, I really, <laughs> I mean, this it's amazing. Uh, I, I I might even bump Rick down to the second. I've got, I've got, I, I don't know what I'm doing. This has been so much fun, uh, and yeah. I can't wait for the next event that we're at. I'm sure we'll be able to riff a little bit more. Uh, I, I really appreciate Thanks you Thanks for being having me here. on. I'm sure I'll be on again. This will be a many-time thing. I appreciate you educating uh, all appreciate everything you do, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks man. for doing this, too. It. I yeah, really appreciate it. It's, it's our passion. It's the work. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to the Missouri Psychedelic Podcast. If you found some value in this production, I'd love it if you uh, left a review for this podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Let your friends know to follow along in this podcast. And also, this is a great time to remind you to go and subscribe to the Missouri Cannabis Podcast put on by my partner and co-host of the Hoosier Sophisticate show, Stephen George Michael Elgin. There's unbelievable cannabis content there that will definitely leave you laughing, uh, leave you a little bit smarter, uh, and I hope that you enjoy that as well. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week.